Sean Mize here, and today's topic is going to be how to determine exactly what your niche needs before your competition does, so that you can consistently and repeatedly beat your competition to market. And this is an interesting topic. I'll tell you it's one that by mastering very early in my internet marketing career, I, I believe this has been one of the keys to my success. I mean, obviously, building a list and obviously uh, stumbling on or being led to article marketing as a great way to drive nice targeted traffic. And, you know, obviously there's a few other pieces that are, that are critical. However, one of the things that I've really been able to do well over the course of the last few years is beat my competition to market. And I think what I'll do is give you an example or a couple examples of exactly how I've done that, what that's looked like, or in what areas I've done that, and what that's looked like. Before I do that, let me say this, that from an economic perspective, anytime we beat our competition to market, we have an edge, but at some point they catch up. And if we've, I almost want to say if we've done an incredible job of creating a phenomenal edge, then once they catch up, we'll still be ahead because we're the market leader. And sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't. What normally happens in the real world is whoever gets to the market first wins. However, once everybody else gets to the market, they really do sort of begin to, to bring you into that market. And whatever your market is becomes commoditized, which means that prices begin to drop. And at that point, you have to make a decision. You know, because of your, the fact that you entered the market early, are your profit margins so good? Is your clientele so strong that you can handle lower prices and continue to be profitable? Or perhaps you're at a place where you say, I've been growing, income's great, I'm not working that hard now, income's down a little bit, but that's okay, I'm satisfied. Or the third option is that you say, you know what, my competition's caught up. It is time to beat my competition to market again. And I'll just give you, I'm always hesitant when I do a live call like this with real people. You folks have many different niches. Many of you, I mean, none of you may be in anything even related to my niche. And, and I, I, now that I think about some of you, you, you are related. But for those of you who are not, you know, sometimes in relating to you what I've done, it's very easy for you to go, well, you know, you've already done that. We can't do that again. And so please understand the purpose of me sharing with you where, what I've kind of done and where I've edged the market out is not to give you a way to edge the market out. It's just to show you how I've done it because the markets that I've been into that I got to before the competition did, well, now the competition's there. And, and once the competition's there, now I'm moving on, and I am moving on. And I've, I'm into some areas now that I'm there before the competition is there, and I'm probably not going to share with you the details on that for competitive reasons. And maybe in a couple of years, then I can share that with you. Does that make sense? So I'll just share with you what has happened in my own market, and then we'll kind of talk about what can happen in your market. Then we'll talk about, or I will talk about, how you can find out in your own niche how you can get there first. So in my market, when I first started, and I know that many of you know this story, I'm going to just try to breeze over as many details as possible that are not really relevant to what we're talking about here. 
when I first started, I was, like many of you, I had a broad idea of what I wanted to do, but I didn't know where I was going to specialize. And really, there's two ways to handle that. One is to just choose a place to specialize, see if it works, if it doesn't change. Or you can go into the broad market initially, and then once you're in the broad market, find out who you've attracted into your list, and then find out from them what they really need, and then go into the tighter market. And that's what I did. Um, I said, you know, when I got started in this market, I had been in a very small niche market that frankly didn't make me I mean, any money to speak of, certainly couldn't pay the bills. But in the process of going into that very small niche market, which happened to be Christian time management, um, I wrote an ebook along those lines, and I was proud of the book. I mean, it, you know, really put a lot into it from myself and was really proud of it, was proud of the website, and but you just couldn't make it make money. I mean, a sale here and a sale there, but you know that that doesn't pay the bills. And, and I was really wanted to make this a full-time income. However, in the process of promoting that book that was basically a flop, I learned a lot about online marketing. I learned what it took to get to number one in Google because within oh, less than 90 days, I was number two or three in Google for my keyword. And probably for the next 90 days was, I don't remember exactly what the day was, but at some point shortly thereafter, I was number one in Google for my keyword. And I believe I'm still like number two or three in Google for my keyword after not doing any work now for three years on that particular keyword. So having said all of that, I had learned a lot about what it took to become number one in Google. I hadn't figured out how to monetize it yet, but I'd learned what it took to be num num become number one in Google. I had learned a lot about a lot of different sources of traffic. I found out what doesn't work. And, you know, really for a beginner, that's huge, knowing what doesn't work. I mean, it, it's one thing to be able to kind of zoom in on what does work, or you know, but to know what doesn't work and just stay away from it, especially in today's flooded market where everybody's telling you this traffic's good, this traffic's good, and everybody wants to sell you their traffic package, so their traffic's always the best. I had to weed through that, and I did a lot of testing and tracking on a lot of different traffic sources, which incidentally is how I found article marketing. And I found it, you know, well, I feel like it's by accident. I mean, it could have been by design from above. But by testing a lot of traffic sources, I found that the article marketing was delivering to me the highest number of visitors and subscribers out of a lot of different traffic sources. Not necessarily the highest number of visitors, but the highest number of subscribers. And, I mean, obviously that's a huge metric. So having said all of that, when I decided that I was going to go into – make this a full-time business back in August of 2006, I said, I know a little bit about some of these areas in the marketing realm. I know how to write an ebook now. I know how to get traffic, or I know how to get a ranking to the top of Google. I know some traffic sources that don't work. I don't know everything, um, but I've been studying a lot over the last six or eight months and studied some of the masters and said, you know, I, I'm not ready yet to really be teaching. I'm not an expert by any, any stretch of the imagination, but I believe I'm in a position now where I could go to list in the broad Internet marketing realm and drive traffic to an affiliate place, monetize it, and then learn what people needed on the list and then teach them what they needed, whatever that was. And so that's what I did. I just created a general squeeze page. It was not targeted. It was very, very general. Sent them a very general ebook and began to develop a relationship with these people. And I'll tell you, my 
my method of building a relationship with these people was to send them emails and to read carefully the emails that they sent back, respond personally, and really communicate with people. And I treated every single person's email that came through as one from a real person who needed real help. And I didn't know how to help them yet, but I treated them as though they really mattered. And incidentally, I still do that. And, you know, I, I keep saying that at some point I'm going to have to outsource. And every time I say that word about traffic or, or about answering emails, I say, no, I can't do it. And I outsource a lot of what I do, but I, I really I enjoy communicating with the people that are on my list, whether they're buyers or not. That That's just that's just me. I enjoy it. And I'll tell you, there's one thing that, that goes far beyond the joy. And from a business perspective, that is by reading my the emails that people write me, and more importantly, by writing them back and asking some more questions and having a conversation, I'm able to constantly get a pulse of what's going on on my list. I can, constantly, I can send an email out today and find out what the people on my list are thinking about, the people that are relevant on my list today. And that changes over time. It really does. It's impacted by what other people are promoting. It's impacted by what other people are teaching. It's impacted by what other people are buying. And so that pulse changes. And if I never read those emails, I wouldn't know what that pulse is. And when I first began, that's what I did. I simply gauged the pulse. And what happened for me was when I first started, there was not nearly the amount of information out there that there is today on how to build a list. Very little information compared to today. I remember really having to dig to learn how to build a list. And there were a couple of people who were teaching how to build a list, but very few people, just a couple, and very few people. And over the course of just communicating with my list, I'd mentioned, well, look, I've and I don't remember the numbers anymore. If those of you that might have my article marketing CDs, if you took notes when you listened to them, or my list building CDs, you might have gotten the accurate numbers off of there. And boy, if, if you do, just shoot me the email. I hate to go. I, I I I used to teach this and give you the, give these numbers out a lot, and so I knew them off cold. I, I don't know those numbers anymore. Somewhere between five and seven hundred subscribers though in the first few months, and I was I had mentioned that to my list. I, mean, I don't know if it was an email to everybody or if I mentioned it to a few people. And what the response that I was getting back was, wow, how did you do that? And what I discovered was that I had a list full of people that were trying to build lists but couldn't do it. People that had been online for two years and had 10 subscribers. And here I had this new business for two months and had five to 700. Now, that may not sound like a lot of subscribers because you know people that have tens of thousands. You may even know people that have hundreds of thousands of emails, and so 500 to 700 doesn't sound like a lot. But at that time, for these people, for the people on my list, because remember, the only people that matter to you are the people on your list. They're the only people that are going to be buying from you. You are building a niche business, and you're marketing to your list. Okay, now, it's different if you're going to do pay-per-click marketing and you're going to invest $20,000 a month in pay-per-click. Or if you're doing broad-based affiliate campaigns and you have a 1,000 affiliates. Then it's different. Now you're marketing to the broad world. But for most of you, you're building a home-based business that you can run from your laptop that's going to generate you better than a full-time income. But really, to generate a full-time income, you only need a few hundred subscribers a month. You don't need a lot of subscribers to generate a full-time income. You, know, you don't need a seriously lot of 
subscribers to generate a quarter million dollars or more. You, you really, really don't need that many subscribers. And so the bottom line is, all of these people have 10 subscribers, 15, they've been trying to build for a year, they can't figure it out. And here I am, I'm the new kid on the block, and I have figured it out. And I can't even almost say, well, I figured it out because I still didn't know exactly what I was doing. I mean, I was, you know, I was doing what I'd been taught, create a squeeze page and drive traffic to it. And I was pretty aggressive about driving traffic. And so, and remember, at that time, there were only a couple other people teaching traffic, and both of those people were, if I remember correctly, they're fairly expensive to get into, to work with them. And so there was, there was like nobody for the common person to, to find out how to build a list. And so I wrote a book on how to build a list, and the thing sold like hotcakes. And that, for me, was a turning point in my business. It was a turning point in my life because all of a sudden I realized that all these people who had been bouncing emails back and forth, not only were they real people who were bouncing emails back and forth, but they had credit cards and they had wallets and they were willing to pull them out if I, if I gave them the right goods. And that was huge for me. And so at that point, I... I mean, I, if I remember correctly, I was just pretty blatantly honest with him. I wrote him back and said, look, thank you for buying that first book. I think I'm going to write another one next month, and what do you, what do you need me to teach you on? And at, at that point, we'd been having some conversations about, well, you know, hey, how are you driving your traffic to do this? And I was talking about article marketing at a time when the only thing people were really using article marketing, there's two things people were using article marketing for back in the day, back when I got started. There are two things. Number one was sort of background credibility. So people would write, say, 10 articles and put them out there. And because of the nature of the web back then, especially the few years, I think, before, I never really saw this, but based on accounts that I've read of people that at that time were teaching some real basic article marketing that was basically like, you know, put 10 articles out there and you'll get a bunch of traffic from, from 10 articles. You'll get people that are looking for coaching, et cetera, et cetera, which is not the case anymore. It's article marketing's changed a lot, and it had changed a lot by the time I got into it. And so people, there were a few people teaching how to use article marketing for credibility. It was usually part of a whole package. You know, you write a book, you do some articles, you do some press releases, you do a whole bunch of different things to create credibility. And then there were other people that were, they weren't even really teaching article marketing, I think, so hard to find this kind of information anymore because it's it's really dated. This was when Google was when the opportunity was there for people to basically flip traffic at Google. So what you could do is you could put a made for AdSense Google site up with links on it for people, you know, to, to, to click and you could write articles to drive traffic to it and it was profitable. Now those clicks have gone down and all of the Google slaps have made it so very difficult for people to make money with pay-per-click that way. And so we don't see that anymore either. But that's what people were using article marketing for. People were not using it for what I was doing. And for the most part, I mean, there's a couple of smart cookies out there that had kind of figured it out, but nobody was teaching it. And so when I told people what I was doing, I told them like it was common knowledge. I mean, this is what I'm doing. It's no big deal. That really was my attitude. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's no big secret. It's no big deal. But people were like, well, Please, we can't get the information anywhere else. Can you please tell me how to do it? I said, okay, sure, I'll write a book. And so I did. And I went on to write 13 books in the course of the first 13 months. And every single one of those books, if I remember correctly, every single one of them was created because somebody said that they have a need and they couldn't find the answer online. And so 
they needed the information from me. And every single one of those products that I created was therefore, it was a product that the market needed that the competition had not caught up to. Now, what's the caveat to this? Well, once I wrote those books, people started buying them, studying it, and writing their own. And I created my own competition very, very quickly. And, however, I mean, it, it really it didn't bother me because of the fact that I knew that I could simply find another place where I could enter into the marketplace and teach people how to do something. And of course, over the last couple of years, that's been the coaching arena. Um, you know, up until the last couple of years, learning how to sell coaching online was very, very, very difficult to find good information. And I hunted for it literally for months to find the right people to teach me how to sell coaching online. I had to hunt for them. I mean, we're talking literally hunt for them. Um, ask contacts uh, to contacts and, and you know, uh, make lots of phone calls and beg people to allow me to introduce somebody, me to somebody who knew somebody else that could put me in touch with the right person. And once I did that and began and learned everything that I did, I began teaching some of that stuff. And now, and this is one area where I don't believe that people are necessarily copying me. I think there's really a trend to selling coaching online that has more to do, that, that, that is broader, much wider than just me. So please don't misunderstand this. However, as I am selling that material, I'm beginning to see that there's a few other people that are beginning to sell very, very similar information. And obviously now I'm moving into even a deeper arena, which for competitive reasons I'm not going to share what that is, and I'll share that in the future, or I may share that in the future, you know, just kind of depending on where things goes with it. So let's talk about you, and let's talk about the psychology behind this. The first thing that I want to say is that there's some psychology that I believe is necessary to understand about your list before we go any further. Maybe before I do this, let me just do this. Let's open up the call. If there's any questions or comments on anything that I've covered so far, hit star seven on your phone to unmute and just tell me your name and then we'll, we'll, we'll take your question or comment. Okay, if there aren't any questions, then I'll go back to teaching. The, the yeah, Sean, Sean. Yes. Go ahead. Who's this? This is Larry, Sean. Larry. Yes. Uh, you, you had mentioned uh, you had tried a number of, of different traffic way, ways to bring traffic in, and obviously auto marketing is your favorite. What were some of the other ones that were decent? That were, decent? Are they still around? You know, are they still decent? Or, you know. Boy, I thought you were going to embarrass me, Larry. I thought you were going to ask me what were the ones that didn't work. Um, because I'll be honest with you, I mean, I tried like 20 different sources of traffic and none of them worked except for article marketing. And let me qualify, didn't work. Please let me qualify, did not work. And then I will share with you some other tra sources of traffic that I've used over the years that do sure. work and work very well. And I'll explain why I don't use them very much anymore. For right or wrong, I'll explain that. And I'll just, well, you can make your own, your, draw your own conclusion. But let me explain what I mean by works or doesn't work. For me, working means that somebody be, is a visitor, they become a subscriber, and when they're on the list, they then become a buyer, and then they become a repeat buyer. And so if a source of traffic sends you visitors but no subscribers, then that's a worthless sort of traffic. 
if a sort of traffic sends me visitors and subscribers, but those subscribers never buy, that's a worthless sort of traffic for me. If a, a source sends me uh, visitors and subscribers and they send me first-time buyers who never, ever make a repeat purchase, then that's also a waste of traffic. Okay, so my definition of valuable traffic is much different than a lot of people's. A lot of people are willing to send just about any kind of traffic to their website. Unfortunately, Larry, that must be your phone if you unmuted. Can I get everybody to hit star six on your phone, please? Just get some background noise, some air whooshing like you're driving down the road. Um, but I hate to mute everybody from my end. Thank you very much, folks. On these open calls, we, we really have to work on controlling that background noise. And so, um, so kind of going back to, to, uh, to traffic, my definition of high-quality traffic is a lot different sometimes than other people's because of the fact that I'm only evaluating it for the long-term result. You know, sometimes I'll be talking with people and say, well, I've got lots of traffic. How much traffic do you have? Well, I have 20,000 visitors. Well, what's that traffic doing for you? Or where is it coming from? And I find that it's coming from a, a dubious source. Well, you know what? 20,000 visitors is nothing. You know, I can turn 2,000 visitors into $20,000, and some people can't turn 20,000 visitors into $20. And it's it, not necessarily because I'm good at converting. It's more, a lot of it really has to do with the traffic source. It really does, and how you get them in. And even when we talk about article marketing, we're not just talking about the fact that they read an article. We're, we're talking about the fact that they read an article that was relevant, that they clicked on a resource box that meant something, that was that meant something to somebody who might buy in the future, that the squeeze page had relevance for them, and that this, this, the, the materials that they received continued to build my credibility. You know, if you write an article that's trash, and then at the bottom you say, click here to receive a free $100, and then when they click on the, I mean, I'm being facetious here, but if you just say, click here to receive a free blah, 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 and then they go to the squeeze page and it just says, download my free blah, 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 and it has nothing to do with meeting their needs, and it has nothing to do with really helping them, then sure, you may get lots of names and emails because they want your free whatever, okay, but those are useless leads. They really are. I mean, if you're offering a free vacation package to, to somebody for opting in on your weight loss list, well, those are really useless leads. They really are because they're going to start getting your weight loss emails and they're going to say, well, you know, I don't need to lose weight. I just wanted the free vacation package. And so I like to tie everything together and make it highly targeted traffic. So having said that, I'm very picky about my traffic. Now, what works for other people, for me, uh, let's talk about pay-per-click for a moment because pay-per-click is, is, is very much misunderstood. It does not work for some people. It works well for other people. Why? Um, I'll tell you what I think, and I'll tell you also that I have invested thousands of dollars in pay-per-click, and I've never been able to get it to work. Now, I have been able to get it to break even, meaning that I'll take as much money in as I invest in it. Now, really, from a cursory glance, that's fine, because if I were to decide to continue to invest in it by testing and tweaking, I could get it to become profitable. However, I've just made a personal business decision I've just made a decision that 
I don't want to do that. If I'm going to continue to invest money, I'll just continue to invest money in more articles because I get an tremendous return on investment with articles. Now, if tomorrow there were no, there's no way to, to do articles if Google just completely banned all articles on the web. By the way, I do not believe that will ever happen, okay, for some for some deep reasons, I do not believe that will ever happen. I believe that articles and blog posts are critical to the fiber of our Internet and, and to the Google business model. I really believe that. Okay, but let's just say that for some reason articles could not work for me ever again. Well, yeah, then I might go into doing something again like pay-per-click. I know I can make it break even, so, hey, do some testing and tweaking and make it do better. But for me right now, I'd rather put those advertising dollars into articles. So having said that, some people do very well with pay-per-click. What I have discovered is that people that have large budgets, in my opinion, tend to do better with pay-per-click than other people. Now, why is that? The reason is that if you have a large budget, you can test and tweak and get better results long-term. Okay, so I indicated that I've invested several thousand dollars in, in pay-per-click, which is really a drop in the bucket. I mean, what will several thousand dollars do for you? Generate several thousand clicks, visitors. That's really all it will do. Well, you cannot do much testing on several thousand visitors. You need a few dozen thousand, I and mean, you need 40, 50, 60,000 visitors to even begin to start getting some good statistically significant results on your subscribers. You really do. And to do that, I mean, that would require a budget. I mean, really, depending on how you define things, that would really require some type of a search budget of probably $25,000, dollars $40,000. And if you're going to make anything happen fast, that needs to be a monthly budget. So, I mean, we're talking about $100,000 up front to be able to get started to really make pay-per-click happen. Okay, now, there's another way to do it, and that is to start small. So let's say you have a budget of $500 a month. You start small with a budget of $500 a month. The first month you lose money, maybe you do $200 in revenue, so you're 300 in the hole. The next month you do 400 in revenue, so you're another 100 in the hole. The next month you do 500 in revenue. The next month you do 600 in revenue, yeah, you're 100 in profit. The next month, I mean, you're not even 100 in profit, you're 100 that month, but you're negative 400 for the last two months, so you're really, you're still negative 300. You do pay-per-click another month. And I'll tell you, for somebody that's dabbling online, for somebody that's, that, that is, is just caring to make a, a, a second living and they're willing to, to not do real well for the first six to 12 months, at some point, that campaign will be profitable. If they do it right, at some point, they'll be investing $500 and generating two grand or three grand or five grand, and then they can begin to reinvest. But it does take time. And I'll tell you, in my, the way that I run my business, my, my return investment happens fairly quickly. I'm a small business owner. I mean, I, I can't put a lot of money out there and just let it sit for a year, as many of you. And I'll tell you another thing, Larry, that I've really tried to do in building my business is I've, I've, I've really focused on having a duplication effect, meaning that anything that I do, other people can do as well. And when I, that means sometimes I'll even not do something because I know I can't teach other people to do it because it's something that's so convoluted or, or, or um, fraught with luck that I can't really teach anybody else to do it. And I will forego doing that in my own business, even if I think I can do it profitably, because then I can't teach other people. And I really want people to be able, when they come to me and they say, what are you doing? Can I do what you're doing? That I can say, yes, I can teach you how to do what I'm doing. You know, imagine, Larry, if you came to me and you said, hey, I want to duplicate your business. I want to do it, do what you're doing. Not necessarily my niche, but you want to duplicate it. And I said, okay, well, I can teach you 80% of it, but 20%, ah, it's over your head. You can't do it. 
you know, you're not going to be able to trust the other 80% because you don't want 80%. You want it all. Does that make sense? And so I know you're muted, so that, that's fine. But so the idea is that sometimes I will even let things go that could be profitable for me just because it will be very difficult to simplify it for the people that learn from me. And part of my income, obviously, is the people that learn from me. And so when I do something, I want it to be simple. So having said that, I think that pay-per-click runs a lot of people into a big negative hole if they do it wrong or if they have, they're not well monetized. I think that most, that some people can become very, very profitable using uh, pay-per-click. But I, you know, I think that you have to go in with both eyes open. Um, what do I believe are some profitable ways to, to generate traffic? I'll tell you, there's a, there, there's a few things that I have done in the past that are highly effective. One is joint venture ad swaps. I've been highly effective doing joint venture ad swaps. Now, this was an area where I got involved in joint venture ad swaps before most of the world. I was one of the, I was not one of the first people to do joint venture ad swaps. People had been doing joint venture ad swaps for probably five to seven years before I came on board. However, the only people that were really doing them at a big level, I think, were big earners, million-dollar earners, and they were doing them just between themselves. They were really keeping it very low-key. What happened was when I came in and I discovered the method of doing joint venture ad swaps and I learned how to write the, the perfect email to get people to do it and I found a way to monetize it at very small levels, I mean, I just became a machine about it. I mean, I started doing joint ventures ad swaps with like everybody that would do them, everybody. I mean, we're talking one a day. I mean, we're, we're talking 10, 20, maybe 30 some months and, and, and generated lots of subscribers, made lots of money off of those subscribers. However, what happened was after about six to eight months of doing that, the people I was doing ad swaps with realized how lucrative it was and began to create software to make it easier for other people to do joint venture ad swaps. Now, so many people use the software to do joint venture ad swaps, and so the, there's it, it, it's, um, so many of the people who are doing joint venture ad swaps are just tra trading names back and forth. It's like the names are doing round robins going around the circle. And so joint venture ad swaps are powerful. By, by the way, for those of you who don't know the language, joint venture ad swap is where I agree to mail something to my list for you that it sends people to your squeeze page so you, join, you get new subscribers and you agree to send something to your list on my account that sends me new subscribers. So you're basically sending people to my squeeze page. I'm sending people to yours. We both get a couple hundred extra subscribers. And if you and I do it, if, if it's a small group of people that do it, and we're doing it with lists that are not being corrupted by a thousand different people doing it, it's still very, very highly profitable. But you have to be very careful when that's all you're doing with your list. I've had clients that have done joint venture ad swaps. And folks, I know I went down a rabbit hole here. Larry, I'm answering your question. I feel like I'm going to wrap down a rabbit hole. So for, the, if for anybody... <laughs> I, you know that this is too much information. Just table it. You'll, you'll, you may need this in a few months. What I've done in the past, Larry, is I've taken several clients to from zero to five thousand subscribers with ad swaps in like two to three months by following my formula. And what happens is normally they get to an income of like three, four, five thousand dollars a month, and then everything grinds to a halt. And they try to go from five, they think 
we're, I'm doing four or five grand a month at 5,000 subscribers. Let me get to 10. I'll double my income. And what happens is their income goes down. So they go up to 5,000 subscribers or so. They get to three or four or five thousand dollars per month in income. And then in the mad race and rush to go from 5,000 to 10,000, their income starts to drop off. And the reason for that is they begin to overmail their list. And they begin to overmail their list to the same old lead partners that they've been using rather than getting new lead partners. Yeah. Um, and it, they do that because it becomes so easy to, to do that. Go ahead, Larry. Okay, I, I thought you were – you had a question. Okay, so traffic, joint venture ad swaps. Referral market is excellent. Um, affiliate marketing is good in when you are the person with the affiliate product. So if you have a product and somebody else is being the affiliate, they are sending you free traffic, and they're sending you better than free traffic because if you, they sell something for 100 bucks, you keep 50 and you give them 50. It costs you nothing up front, and you made $50. So they're paying you. I mean, you're getting paid for them driving you traffic. Um, and, of course, they're getting paid too, so it's win-win. It's uh, that's another good source of traffic. Another place that I like for traffic is uh, directory of e-zines. And I believe it's directiveezines.com. What it is is, is uh, this guy, uh, I don't remember his full name, Charlie, has taken the time over the years to compile a list of people who have emails, e email lists, who are willing to rent their list out. So for 100 bucks, you get to mail this guy's list, and maybe you'll get a couple hundred clicks. Maybe you won't get any. Okay, so I mean, there's there's an investment involved. I was very successful in using directory of e-zines to generate um, additional traffic. Now, you must track what you do. The reason is that sometimes you'll pay for an ad and you get hardly any traffic. There's nothing you can do about it. If the person lied to you about how much traffic is going to come in, they lied to you. You've lost the money. There's, it, you really, that's just what happened, okay? Move on. Cross that person off of ever doing business with them again. But there will be people that make you money. And the ones that make you money, they make up for the, the jokers that you lost money on. And then you can take that and reinvest it again in the people who have made you money. And if you mine the directory of easing, or if, if you if you mine the directory of easings, you can find a number of, of of list owners who will mail for you for a price. That's another great way to generate traffic. Sean, uh, yes. Who's this? This is Dave. Dave. Uh, when you're when you're mailing through those e-zines, uh, do you recommend uh, solo ads, or is there any particular ad that you used when you were testing and tracking that worked better for you when you were working with Charlie Page? Um, yes, the ad that worked best for me was doing a solo ad. That's what would produce the best. However, sometimes. What would work better from a return on investment perspective would be the very first ad. So their top sponsor ad. By the way, thanks for the name, Charlie Page. The, the very first ad. So if, if, and I, I like to subscribe to their email or get them to forward me one so I can kind of see where the ads are. I've been doing this long enough to know that if you're the, if you're three pages down when somebody's scrolling, you're not going to get very much traffic at all. So the only ad that I will buy is the top sponsor ad, and I will only buy the top sponsor ad if there's not a lot of gobbledygook above it. So sometimes when you get the top sponsor ad, there's like one line that, that says, hey, dear subscriber, and then you're there. 
sometimes there's like two paragraphs explaining that this isn't spam and that you subscribe to the list and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's and all of that and I'm still down on the second page or something. If it's a real cheap ad, I, sometimes I'll run it just to see what happens. But unless they've got a really big list, you're not going to get enough traffic. And here's the thing, even if it's only a $5 ad, if you only get 10 subscribers, you know, you say, well, it's a 50 cent subscriber and I can turn that into 20 bucks. Yeah, but what's it worth if it's only 10 subscribers? So I really don't like to mail somewhere unless I'm going to get a few hundred subscribers. So, and, and generally, if you're not the top sponsor, you're not going to get that. If I got response from the top sponsor ad, whatever it was, then depending on the price on the solo, I would run a solo. And generally, if the top sponsor ad did well, the solo would just blow it out of the hemisphere. Um, and do really, really well and be very profitable. If the top sponsor ad does not produce, the solo is probably not going to produce either. That's been my experience. So the idea here is that the top solo will tell you if there's any traffic at all and if you get any response, and then by having doing a solo with them, then you get like the bulk of the traffic. So that's, that's how I used to do it. The email that I would run on that was uh, my my classic email, my, the, I, I, the uh, subject line would read, if it was a solo ad, the subject line would, would read, uh, first name fix a free gift for you. Sometimes the, the, the people would not want to run that because they would, they would say, oh, well, free doesn't get through the spam filters and I don't like to send that out to my subscribers. And sometimes I wouldn't even buy an ad if they would not let me run it that way. If they, if they, I felt like they had a huge list, I felt like they were being honest with me on the number of clicks, then I might you know, go with something else. But that subject line worked really, really, really well, still works really well. Then the body of it was really simple. It's Dear First Name Fix, uh, here is a free gift from you from Internet marketing expert Dave Krieger or real estate expert Dave Krieger, uh, and then the link to the squeeze page. And that worked really, really, really well. Now, having your name in there does not really increase conversion rates, but it increases buyer's rates later. And because that's because it creates relationship. It makes it look like it's a personal recommendation from the person running the, the, the solo ad. That's what it makes it look like. Now notice we haven't said it's a personal recommendation. And some ad, ad places would not let me run that ad. And if I didn't like what they wanted me to run, if they wanted to tweak it by a word or two, it's fine. I'd run it. But if they were going to totally change it around and they wanted to give people this whole song and dance to, you know, make it look like whatever, I, I just wouldn't do it. I know that that converts. Um, I'm not much a risk taker. I'm really not. I mean, I'll take big risks when necessary if I'm trying out something new. But once I know that something works, I won't take a whole lot of risks and risk my money. I'd rather just put the money somewhere else on using the ad that I know that works. Does that answer your question, Dave? It does. What's your What's your opinion on utilizing uh, social media and driving path, traffic back to the squeeze page? Well, let me let me temper this with I don't do any social media. So everything I'm going to tell you is going to be either hearsay or my opinion. It, unlike most everything else that I teach, it's not going to be from personal experience. So normally I teach from personal experience. Normally when I say crazy things, I know they work because it's my personal experience. And just give you some background on my thoughts about social media. I, I believe, number one, that social media is a very, very powerful way to drive traffic. And a lot of big branded companies are using social media for the purpose of building tighter relationships with existing buyers or with people that are thinking about buying something. Okay, and then, and we, I, I think it's very critical that we understand the difference between 
uh, a, a, someone who is a prospect who wants to buy a Sony laptop or an Apple laptop and is already going online, they know they want to buy a laptop, the question is they're going to look at a whole bunch of reviews, they're going to go to a whole bunch of sites, and they're going to try to figure out which one's the best one. Contrasting that with somebody who's looking for information online that's trying to figure out how to do it. And I, I believe there's some critical differences. Now, there are possibly – there's more talk, I think, than action. But there are possibly some marketers that are doing an okay job with the social, the, the social media. The, the problem that I see – there's two problems that I see. And, and, again, I'm tempering this with the fact that social media is profitable for – I believe it's profitable for a lot of companies – very specific types of companies, especially branding types of operations where there is already a, a type of a, de, of a demand there. However, it, it is good for generating leads. Um, some of the drawbacks, the two biggest drawbacks I see with social media, and the biggest reason why this is one of those things that I just I just decided I, at this point I I haven't I'm, I'm not putting money into. And there's, there's two reasons for that, and one of those reasons is that if I were to do social media, I'm not at the place with my time that I was when I started out with article marketing. Article marketing, I did it myself for the first 10 months, and then after five months in the middle of doing it myself, I began to hire other people, but I didn't hire other people until I knew what I was doing. With social media, I don't have the time nor the desire to learn how to do it myself. So I would immediately begin hiring someone else to do it, and obviously I'd be, there would be a budget involved. And at this point, any additional budget I would put in, I, I would just continue to add articles. I know there's a huge ROI for me, and I would just double article production if, you know, if I was going to invest additional dollars. The, the second reason is that I, I've, I stay away from it. It kind of goes back to I don't like to do anything that I can't adequately teach. Social media tends to be a horrible trap for Internet marketers. People get onto Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and, and all of the others. They get in there. They're doing it in the name of driving business, but they end up wasting four hours a day on social media and not driving traffic. I believe it's a horrible trap that, that people get into. So having said all of that, if you can avoid the trap, and if you can, um, if you can effectively separate the lead generation portion of your social your social networking process from the selling portion, then I believe that it's something that you might be able to do. And when I say separate it, it's going to be very very difficult to drive leads from the very same social media source where you are converting those leads. It's very difficult to do both at the same time. Obviously, in my system, I've separated the two because I use articles to drive traffic to generate subscribers. So I use articles to generate leads, but for the most part, I don't use articles to generate my audience. I use teachings like this. You know, obviously, if you really want to waste four hours of your night, you could go read a hundred of my easing articles, but you're not going to get a lot. I mean, they're, they're really there for lead generation. Now, there's a few in there that I put in there strategically that I send people to when, I, when, I, when I've got a specific topic that I just want to write about. I want it to be really easy to send people to, but they're few and far between. I mean, the bulk of the articles out there for lead generation. When somebody becomes a lead now, the way that I personally market to them is through an email campaign and a sales page. So I'm not sending them back to the original source. 
So let's say that you're using Facebook marketing. You've attracted somebody who hangs out on Facebook or they wouldn't have been on Facebook. They hang out on Facebook. They become a lead through Facebook. Now where do you send them? If you can't really send them back to your same Facebook because you're lead generating there. You're not selling. If you don't send them back and you just work with them through email, they're still going to want to deal with you some on Facebook because that's who they are. Well, your Facebook operation is all about lead generation. Okay, now, you could strategically set this up so that your lead generation is on three social media sites. Let's say your lead generation is on LinkedIn and, what is it, Orkut and, say, two others. And then you're using Facebook for the monetization. The problem is anytime you try to use any of those social network, those social sites for, for, for blatant monetization, you're running into a terms of service issue and you could be shut down. So once again, we get back to the idea that you've got to use them just for lead generation. You've got to send them over to your email and then you've got to convince them not to continue to be lured into additional lead generation. Instead, you want them to buy. Whereas with articles, they're not being constantly going back to articles. Somebody reads something of mine in Ezine articles. They're not going there every day to check with their friends. They're only getting to Ezine articles the next time they search for something and Google sends them there. Does that make sense, the difference there? It does. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, all of what I'm telling you is, is not from personal experience. It's from observing clients. It's from from observing people who have failed miserably at trying to do social media and then also observing you know, what's going on out there in the marketplace. Do I believe it can be used for lead generation? Yes, I do. How easy is it to convert that into dollars? I believe that it would take engineering a brand new system. And who knows, maybe you could be the person to do that and become a millionaire on teaching people how to make that happen. Um, but I believe it would be very difficult to just plug them into the exact same system that I have that, uh, that, that converts because of some of what I've discussed. So kind of going back to Larry's question, I think that gives you a broad idea of, of what I feel like about traffic. There's, there's, um, there's obviously there's the old standby and that's banner marketing, banner advertising. That's something that a lot of companies use profitably. And, uh, frankly, it's something that I'm starting to dip my big toe into. Um, I don't know enough about it yet to tell you if, what, how I can make it profitable. I believe that I can, um, be, for a couple of different reasons. There's some sheer numbers there that, that can happen. It'll take a lot of testing and tweaking, but the, the dollar figures aren't the same as pay-per-click, so I believe it should be easier. That's the that's the only thing that I want to say is something that, again, it, from my perspective, it's not tested. However, I believe that it holds some promise. But I think I've shared with you pretty much all the ways that I've generated traffic. The bulk of the ways, though, that I generate traffic are through the articles and the organic search rankings that happen as a result of the articles. Does that answer your question, Larry? Yes, it does very much. I appreciate that. Okay, excellent. You're welcome. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the content. Hopefully this has been a diversion that's helped a lot of you folks or give you folks some insight, so a little bit off topic, but I think I hope that that's been valuable. Okay, so let's go into the background, the psychology of the, the psychology of uh, what, how to find that new need. And in, in doing that, I want to go into the psychology of what happens when someone joins your list. The only reason that somebody joins, there's two reasons, there's two primary reasons that people join your list. I'm going to give you the second one first because I only want to spend like one minute on it and move on. 
The second reason that people join your list is they're your competition. They want to see what you're doing. Okay, and, and so I just want to tell you because that's why a few people join your list. And it is what it is, okay? And it, it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't help you. It's just there. The other 99% of people who join your list, the reason that they join your list is because they need help. They will, people do not go searching on the Internet for no reason. I mean, think about the last 10 searches you did online. Did you do them because you were totally bored out of your mind and some word just popped into your head and you said, oh, I'm going to Google it and find out what happens? I, please tell me that that's not the case because I might begin to think you're crazy because I don't do that and I don't know anybody that does, okay? The last search that you did online was probably because you needed some information. You said, oh, we're going to travel to Hawaii. I wonder how much it's going to cost to travel to Hawaii. Um, oh, my wife needs a new dress and they're out of it at Nordstrom. Well, you hopefully you wouldn't be typing it. So maybe you are the woman that needs a new dress. You went to Nordstrom and it's not there in your size. And so you went online and you tried to find the dress online. Okay, both of these are you need something. You need to find out what the price is to get to Hawaii, or you need to find if there's a size of the dress that you need online. Um, you need information about traffic, so you typed in traffic generation. You needed information about traffic. So I could beat this all day long, but I mean, every single search that you do online should be because you need something. It need, it be, the reason you're doing a search is because you don't know the answer. Just intuitively, you don't know the answer. So the only reason that you're searched for something is because you don't know the answer and you want to find out the answer. But the point that I want to zero in on here is that you don't know the answer. That's what I wanted to focus on. So if somebody joins your list, they do not join your list because you have a pretty squeeze page. They do not join a list because your squeeze page has a pretty color pink and they like the color pink. They join your squeeze page because they need help. People hate to get email. So why would anybody voluntarily give them your email, give you your email so they could risk you spamming them or sending them an email every day? They won't unless they need your help. So what this means is that every single person on your list, except for the rare person who's spying on you because they're your competition, every single person on your list needs your help. Or they did when they joined your list. Now, if they join your list today and they also join 10 other people's lists and one of the people on the other people's lists was a better marketer than you and then talked them into buying their solution instead of yours and their solution worked, well, maybe by day two they don't need you anymore. Or maybe day 30 they don't need you anymore. So I mean, it just kind of goes back to buying that ticket to Hawaii. Maybe somebody signs up to 10, 10 different companies to get alerts when the, there's a cheaper price. Well, as soon as you buy your ticket, on Frontier, perhaps, to go to Hawaii, then you no longer need that service. And it's the same thing. Somebody joins your list. They need your service until they've solved their problem. But when they come onto your list, they need your service. And really, the next assumption is that when they don't need your service anymore and you continue to send them emails, they're going to scroll down and unsubscribe, or they're going to send you hate mail until you unsubscribe them. So what that means is that anybody that's left on your list who is still opening your email, they still need you. Now, there may be one or two people in there that don't fit this category, but, but I mean, the, the, the broad assumption here and the very accurate assumption is that almost every single person opens your emails needs you. Now, the 90% who don't open your emails anymore, you don't know anything about them. They may not open them simply because they don't need you anymore. They may not open them because they now go into spam, so they, they get caught in a spam box, and so, you know, they still need you, but they never read your email. And those people are irrelevant. You can't reach them anyway because your email is going in their spam box. So what do we have to work with? We have to work with the people who open your emails. 
the people who open your emails need you. So based on everything I've just given you, just take my word for it. If they're opening your emails, they need you. Okay, now, the next step in this is that they have been searching online. How do we know they're searching online? Because they found you online. Do you think you're the only person they signed up to? Of course not. How do you know that? Well, look at yourself. You're not just signed up to my list. You're signed up to 25 other people's lists. Why? Because you needed something when you signed up. It, that's exactly the same thing for everybody on your list. They are signed up to other people's lists as well because they need something. Now, if they've been on your list for 60 days and they've been on a bunch of other people's lists and they've been searching for a solution and they're still on your list, what does that lead us to believe? It leads us to believe that the solution does not exist or if it does exist, that it is marketed so poorly that nobody can find it or it is marketed so poorly that nobody would ever buy from that sales page and so therefore it might as well not be there or the price is so prohibitive that nobody's ever going to buy it or at least not the people that are on your list. So what that leaves us with is a list of people who have needs that are not being met by the marketplace. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Any questions on the psychology that goes on? Because I totally want everybody to get this before I move on because this is the linchpin this is the, the answer to you breaking through the competition barrier. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some step-by-step practical things you can do to exploit this. But this, this, is, this understanding is key to moving on. So is anybody not totally clear on what I've just shared? Hit star seven on your phone if you're muted and you want to ask or speak up. Okay, I'm going to assume everybody's totally clear. Because we now know and we can now make this conclusion that every single person on our list has a need and it is a need that is being unmet by the competition, all we have to do now is ask our list what they need and then we create a product that meets that need and we will have created a product that beats the competition to the market. Now, please understand I say that sort of broadly because there may be somebody else out there that's teaching the same thing but they don't know how to market and so nobody can find them or the price is so prohibitive or there's no way to pay for it or whatever the case is. So you, you may not literally be the very first person to create the product, but you're the very first person that is marketable. Okay? Now, there's, two, there's many ways that you could ask your list, but through trial and error, I have discovered the best way to ask my list. And I'm going to tell you the worst way first, and that is to write, the people, write your list and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about creating a new product. What should I create? Because what they're going to do, they may be genuinely trying to help you, but what's going to come into their mind is something that they can think of as being possible to create. They're not going to think of things that are not possible and, well, that they haven't ever thought of before. Just human nature. They're going to think about, I mean, if I, if I sent you, you know, let's say you were visiting me and I asked you to go to the store and purchase a few uh, fruits and vegetables, or I, I said I was going to go to the store, you know, should I pick up some fruits and vegetables, and you said, yeah, and I said, well, what kind of fruits and vegetables should I pick up? You're going to tell me something you know about. You're going to tell me I'd like you to pick up an apple and a banana. I'd love to have an apple and a banana. Okay, but let's say there's a couple of new weird kind of fruits that came from some island that was just discovered and that nobody knows what these fruits are, and they're really better for you than any of the fruits that are normally available. You're not going to think of those fruits. Why? Because you don't think of them, because you don't know of them. And so it's the same thing with products. 
they're going to say, okay, well, let's say you're in the, maybe you're in the dog training niche, and there's a bunch of products out there to teach people how to keep their dog from, uh, from uh, piddling all over the house. Okay, so if you ask your, your list, what kind of products should I create, they're going to say, well, you know, I mean, you seem to really know your topic. Why don't you create another one of those books that will teach dogs how not to piddle and just do a better job than everybody else? Well, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to create something that's just like everybody else but better. I don't want to do that. I want to create something that nobody else has. Okay, and so that's when I, and through lots of trial and error, through studying the market, I have discovered what I really believe is the sentence that works, and it works every single time for me, and this is the question that I ask. What is your single biggest challenge in your niche? So let's say it's dog training. I write and I say, what is your single biggest challenge with training your new dog? And then they're going to tell me what their challenge is. And they're going to say, well, you know, I don't have any problem with the dog piddling. I bought a couple of books, and they taught me how to do that. But my dog has this really weird habit of um, grabbing a book off the shelf and opening it up and ripping the pages out of it. How do I stop my dog from doing that? Okay, now, they just told you they don't need help with the dog piddling. Why? Because there's a hundred other ebooks out there to teach you how to do that. There's not a single there's not a single ebook out there to teach you teach your dog how to not take a book off the shelf and eat the pages out. And I don't even know if dogs do that. My dog does not do that. If my dog did that, my dog would probably be banished to the garage and and you know, chained to a tire or something and that's where my dog would live. Okay, but my dog lives up here, and she doesn't go near the book. She's a very good dog, okay? So, but if I had that problem, I mean, I would have, and by the way, I, uh, seriously, I would not chain her to the tire. I, I mean, we'd move all the books to a higher level or whatever the case is. So I'm really being facetious there. I, I love my dog. I really do. Cricket's just a wonderful little animal. But anyhow, um, I, I become distracted. So the, the answer to their challenge is the need in the market. The answer to their challenge is the need in the market. You can't ask them directly, what do you need? Because they don't know. They do not know what they need. They can tell you what their challenge is. And what they need is a solution to the challenge. But the reason they cannot tell you what they need is because they don't know what the solution to the challenge is. And people cannot tell you what they don't know. And they don't know what they need because only you know what they need. Because they have the challenge and you have the need. You have the solution. That's what they need. And if you will create products that are what people tell you their challenges are, then you will create products that are cutting edge. Now, there's obviously some caveats here. I mean, if, if people are looking for something, they tell you what their challenge is, and it's the same old challenge that you've seen many times before and you know there's 25 products out there, do you really want to create another product? No. Go become an affiliate of somebody's product that already, that, you know, already teaches that type of thing and then say, hey, here's where you can get that information. You've got to, I mean, you've got to use some judgment here. You've got to look into those questions when people respond and look for the answers. Look for the answers that are telling you there's, there, there's a need in the marketplace for something that does not exist. And it's not going to jump out at you, except for me, it usually does. So if I send an email like that out to my list, I need your help. I'm in the process of creating. Yeah, I was going to give you exactly, practically what to do, and so I'll give it to you. Practically, exactly what to do. You send out what I call my classic I need your help email. This email reads like this. Subject line, first name fix, I need your help. Body, 
Do you have a first name fix? I need your help. I'm in the process of creating a new whatever, whatever you're really creating. I usually am creating a coaching program, but you can, you can say I'm creating a new ebook. I'm creating a new training program. I'm creating a new audio, whatever. I'm in the process of creating a new coaching program. I want to make absolutely sure, and usually I think I'll tell them what the niche is. So I'm, I'm, work, I'm, I'm in the process of creating a brand new coaching pro- program to help you with XYZ. But I want to make absolutely sure that it's exactly what you need to help you out. So I need your help. A couple of questions. Number one, um, what is the biggest single thing that you're trying to accomplish in your niche? So, you know, let's say it's dog training. What's the single biggest thing that you're trying to accomplish with your dog right now? Okay. And they might tell you, I'm trying to potty train them or whatever. And then the second question is, in the very same email, the second question is, uh, what is your single biggest challenge in training your dog? And then you're going to write, what I usually write, I personally believe it gets me more responses, but it's only hearsay. I've never tested the number, but just a gut feeling. It feels good when I write this. I say, by the way, if you respond within the next 24 hours, I personally promise to respond personally and try to help you. And I personally believe that that line does two things for me. I personally believe that it helps me increase the number of people that write back, and that's what I want. I also believe that it, it broadcasts to my entire list, even if they don't respond, that, that I'm a real person, that I'm willing to write back. Does it really do that or not? I don't know. But from a psychological perspective, you know, it makes me feel good when I send that out, and I sign it myself. When I send that to my list, I normally get about 100 responses. Out of 100 responses, 70 of those responses are going to be pretty much the same old normal stuff that everybody else asks, and those are the people that have a need, but they haven't dug very deep, and there really is a product out there. How do I know? Because I know my niche, and you should know yours. So 70% of the needs come back, and there are things that are out there that may not be marketed well. It's something you don't want to do, whatever. You, you can create a product for that, and of course, that's what I've always done. I just create a product. If you're on my list and you have a need and you haven't bought it from somebody else, hey, I'll create a product and you can, you can learn from it. And in my case, oftentimes those are cutting-edge products. They're products that nobody else has. And a couple of the things that I've done recently have been things that nobody else has. Now, what will happen is the other 30% will be sprinkled around various different things that people need more help with. And... But it's so hard to kind of create an example for you. But if you do this example, if you do this exercise, then you'll see it. When you read those, those emails and you see people writing back and saying, I'm trying to figure this out and I can't find an answer, and then you try to help them and maybe even go online and you Google it and you try to find an answer and you find that nobody else is teaching the answer but you know the answer, there you go. There's an opportunity to create a product. And not all of these are going to be viable. If you've only got one person asking about something, that may not be a viable idea. Or here's what I've done in the past. Sometimes if somebody gives me an idea, I get almost all of my ideas from these questions. From clients, that's where I get my ideas. And I mean, really, if you think about this program, why am I teaching the lessons I'm teaching? It's because you folks have asked me questions that have led me to the place that says, this is what I need to teach on. This is what I need to teach on next because you folks have asked those questions. And obviously I have to use good judgment. And sometimes if my judgment, if I don't know the answer, let's say I get five people that ask me a certain question and I can't really find an answer out there, but I don't know how much need there is. I just ask my list. I send an email and you know how much I communicate with my list. I mean, my list is, is gold to me and it's, it's more than just 
you know, buy this. It's, it's a relationship. I'll send an email out that says, hey, I'm in the process of thinking about creating a product that's going to do X, Y, Z. Would that be valuable to you or not? And then people write back and they say, yeah, that would be valuable to me. And then when the people that write back, I write back and I say, well, what do you mean? How would it help you? How would it really help you? Have you studied anybody else on this particular topic? What are your thoughts? What should I include? Your list is going to help you. They really are, especially if you've been sending them good content, you've been helping them out. They're going to help you. They're not even going to know that you're really trying to, I mean, get all this market research out of them. I mean, they don't need to. It doesn't matter. I mean, you've been up front. You told them you're thinking about creating a product a couple emails ago. If they don't tie all that together, I mean, they should. And, of course, I mean, you could, you could tell them, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm really thinking about creating this product, and uh, can you help me more with it? But, I, I mean, once we're having a conversation, I don't need to. I just I write them back and I say, well, what do you think? You know, if I did something like this, what should I cover? What would help you the most? And I'm always, I'm always posturing it from the perspective of what would help you most. Why? Because I wanted to help them. And then when I write my sales letter, this is, <laughs> this is something I haven't talked about in a while. Let me look back at my notes, make sure I'm not missing anything on my notes before I go here. Okay. So then what I do, you know what, before I give this next step, let's open up. Let me open up the call. Any questions or comments about anything that I've just covered? I want this to be totally crystal clear, the process that I'm going through to find out what people need. Okay, I'm going to assume that I'm crystal clear. I can't hear you if you're speaking. Hit star seven if you're muted. Okay, the next step, and to me this supercharges it. It really does, and I've done this time and time again. It works every single time, is that when I create that new product that, every, that a bunch of people have told me that they need, and especially if I've written back now and I've said, look, you know, I've had some, some interest in me creating a product that's going to do X, Y, Z, you know, would that be valuable to you? And if so, how would it be valuable? How would that really help you? Will that help you? And people write back and some of them will tell you, yeah, it would help me and this is why. They'll say it would do X, Y, Z for me. It would give me this benefit. If they tell me it will do X, Y, Z for them, guess what's going on on my sales letter and my bullet points? It's going to do X, Y, Z for you. I mean, obviously it has to, but because I'm creating it from scratch, I can make it do that. You want my product to teach you X, Y, Z? Yeah, included, page 13. Oh, you want my product to teach you ABC? Okay, great, that's on page 15. I can create my entire bullet point list. I can write almost my whole sales letter simply by going back in and looking at all the conversations that I've had about this particular topic. Does that make sense? And the beautiful thing about doing this is that the person that reads through the sales letter, when they get to the bullet point that talks about what they need, they're going to buy. Why? Because I'm using their exact words. They said that they need X, Y, Z. And in that bullet point, I've got X, Y, Z. You think that person's going to buy? That person's going to buy. I've seen it time and time again. Time and time and time again. Yeah, I send out a list of, to 100, you know, 100 people respond to me that, that say they have problems. I bounce a few emails back and forth. Okay, I create a product. I launch it next week. I can go through the list of buyers, and half of the buyers will be on that list of people that corresponded with me. Now, obviously, there's more reasons than just that I put it on a sales letter, because I've, I've created a bond with these people. I've created rapport. They trust me now simply because of this process. 
So you can use this process to create rapport. You can use this process to create trust. But you can also use this process to find out exactly what you can create that the market needs. And again, once you create it, if it becomes popular, other people will copy it, and then it will become less profitable. So what do you do? You send another email out to your list that says, what are you challenged with right now? And they'll tell you, and you create that. And once again, as long as you follow all the little rules I gave you, and a lot of it's just common sense, you know, see, does anybody else have something like this? You know, ask a few more people, would, would it be valuable if you had this? You could even send another I need your help email out that says, let's say you sent one out that said, what's your biggest challenge with dog training? And then you got like 10 people that responded, well, the biggest problem I'm having with dog training right now is, you know, we got a new dog that came from a rescue and she's really shy and if you come near her, she runs away. Okay, let's just say you had 10 people on your list that had that detail of a problem. Now what you do is you send another I need your help email out that says, I need your help. I'm in the process of creating a new program that will help you if you have just gotten a shelter dog who is five years old and is just really scared of you and runs away every time you come near to try to pet her. You know, what, what is your greatest challenge? I need your help. What is your greatest challenge with a rescue dog? Or what is your greatest challenge re regarding this particular thing? And now it's 25 people right back and they say, well, you know, I've had that scenario before and, you know, I have this problem and I have this problem and I have this problem. And they go, I know I've got a winner because I've got people, I've got people, can I get everybody to hit star six on your phone if you know you've got some conversation going on in the background? Thanks. Got an open call here. Um, I, that second phone call or that second I need your help email, that simply confirms for me. 25 people say, yeah, boy, I'd really like some information about a rescue dogs. I mean, there's probably, if you went to the Barnes & Noble Borders today, I bet you could probably find folks. I apologize, folks. I'm going to mute the line out on my end, and that will get rid of this background noise. I Folks, I really apologize. Let's find the page. And okay, I, what I've done is I blocked it out on my end, and then if you do want to ask again, just hit star seven to talk. Okay, okay. So the idea here is now I've got twenty. So you're kind of going back to this topic, and again, I have no idea if a book like that would sell. I'm just using this as an example. But if you go to Barnes and Noble or Borders, there might be fifteen books on how to potty train a puppy. But is there a single book on the shelf about how to take, excuse me, how to take a shelter dog that's been beaten and abused and how to take that dog and teach them how to become sociable and normal again and not afraid? I mean, probably there's almost nothing out there. It might be a chapter in a few books. Now, will a book like that sell? I don't know. My guess is it would. You know, maybe somebody wants to run with this idea. I don't know. But, I mean, this is, this is all just a, a, a totally hypothetical situation to give you an example of how you do it in your list. Does that make sense, folks? Okay. That concludes my presentation, my information to you on how to find out where the holes in the competition are and create a product that will beat your competition to the market. At this point, I'd like to open up the call. Any questions, just hit star seven on your phone. Uh, any questions uh, about anything that I have that I've covered today? Okay, folks, let's open the call up then to any questions 
about anything that's going on in your business.